Hey Maniacs, just a note before we get started, this episode does mention suicide. We're not going to focus on it or spend too much time on it, but we want you to know just in case you need to be careful while listening. On with the show. Hey Maniacs. Hey Maniacs. Oh my gosh. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of a show including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, season one, episode five, Till Death Do Us Part. Yes. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. Man, what a week. It's been spring break. It's supposed to be a break, right? It's a crazy week already. It's not. There's no break. <laughs> Luckily, we don't get a break till May. Yay! Yay! But you know, you you have time off work, and you you look forward to it, and you think Sarah oh, had time off. From I'm work. going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then I wound up working a couple of days instead. And then I did all the things I wanted to do, jam packed. And now that's over. And I'm looking around the house, going, "There's stuff I probably should have done instead." It just. But I'll be it, damned if I'm going to spend three days off work cleaning house. No, I'm just not going to do it. No. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Plus, we have children. They should be cleaning the house. I know. Shouldn't they? They should. Yeah, they don't. Oh my gosh, somebody crocheted a soccer fox. Yes. <laughs> that was so amazing. It is amazing. I, I can, please, whenever you do anything related to the podcast, like get merch or, or crochet a soccer fox or make an ice sculpture, please <laughs> tell us and send us pictures. It makes our day. Let us share it. It's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. We even got a message from your brother saying, hey, save me a Brackenreed t-shirt. Yeah, my brother's a maniac now. He's totally a maniac. We got him. Yep. We got him. Oh, boy. So just a reminder, speaking of merch, all the proceeds will go to Target Ovarian Cancer um, now until the end of May. Yes. So head on over and pick you something up. As well as we'll have some new designs coming up. We have a couple ideas. And yeah. Yeah, there's fun stuff. This episode uh, is, of course, a spoiler podcast. And if you let your kids go to the tennis club, they should be allowed to listen to this episode. It depends how old they are and I, when they go to the tennis club. I, <laughs> I guess. Yes, we are going to ruin it. We're going to give it away. If you haven't seen Till Death Do Us Part, pause right now. Go watch it. Come back. Yes. Or we're going to mess it up for you. Original air date, February 17th, 2008. Don McBurty has directed this and Janet McClellan wrote it. This is one in a long line of mystery shows where either the bride or groom get killed on the wedding day. Yes. Midsummer is a classic example of this. Oh, do not get married in Midsummer. Do Go not get elope, married. come yep. back, don't tell anybody until it's over, <laughs> or you'll get shot right outside the church or poisoned or whatever i mean this is this is not so bloody yeah that uh the midsummer where it happens it's like slow-mo bride smiling and waving coming out of the church and then she gets shot well and then in midsummer there's the bridesmaid who gets run through with the spear oh <laughs> yeah there's that too like, it's a very great show by but, the way but weddings are dangerous yes this is what we know i mean you don't have to watch game of thrones red wedding episode no. to know Weddings are dangerous. Weddings certainly are dangerous. And so they are in Toronto in 1895, too, because Wendell gets smacked upside the head with a big cross on his wedding day before he can even get married. Everybody's going into the church. The bride's getting ready. Wendell is in the, the ante room getting nervous. He's getting the cold feet. Well, there's a reason why he's getting the cold feet. And this is a time in history when weddings weren't necessarily big like they were important, but you might only have like 10 people at your wedding and that was yeah, perfectly no, fine. Unless it was a big society, like two wealthy families getting married. It, it might only be like your you closest relatives and that's it. You would people from the church at this wedding. Yeah. Aren't there like always old ladies who'll show up for like anything? I would think so. <laughs> So this church is completely fascinating. It's beautiful. Yes. Did you find out what church it actually is? Yes. Because it's not a set, that's for sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> this church is 
located in Hamilton, Ontario. It is... Is Hamilton like a suburb of Toronto? Kind of. It's far enough away that it's... There There are a lot of people who live in Hamilton who work in Toronto. Okay. But it's like an hour and a half away. Oh, okay. It's kind of right at the end of the lake where... That's a long commute. Yeah. Well, do you, have you seen housing prices in Toronto oh, lately? Yeah, I understood. It's, yeah. And plus, they have this thing in Canada. Oh, what is it called? Public transportation uh, that allows you to get places easily and cheaply. Yes, <laughs> and quickly. Okay. So it's a church in Hamilton. So there's about a 500 to 800,000 people. It's about that size. Okay. Um, and it's the St. Paul's Presbyterian Church right downtown in, in Hamilton. It is a gorgeous church who actually has a fairly robust online presence, including nice. a YouTube channel, and they got the Tiki Talk and everything. And a uh, church on TikTok. Yep, they, I'm impressed. Uh, they are also part of a thing that makes me proud of Canadians. Uh, they are taking in uh, Serbian refugees and helping them find places to live in Canada. That's great. They have a whole thing about it's it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so, so pretty inside that church. It is. And there's a plaque. There's a time traveling plaque. <laughs> that big brass plaque on the back wall that yeah. you can't miss. Yes. James Gill, B-A and P-P-A-E-D. I'm not sure what that is. Paid? No, no. It's it's like it's part of his B-A, but oh. it's a B-P-A-E-D. But his last name is? Gill. Oh, I thought Gill was his middle name. I thought no. it was James Gill, B-A-P, B-A-B, and his last name was Peed. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I was no, like, no. yo, is... Jimmy Peed, how you doing? No, no, it's not Jimmy Peed. It's, it's Jimmy Gill. Okay. At first, when I looked at it, I thought it was Gillies, which if you it's watched, not. <laughs> if you've watched Murdoch, yeah. And uh, his birth date is 1864, which he could have had a plaque. In the church in right. 1895 as a 19-year-old, 21-year-old. But he died in 1939. It's listed on there. <laughs> so it's a time-traveling play. Member of St. Paul's for 39 years. Well, I'm sure when they film someplace like this, they're just simply not allowed to do anything. Yeah, yeah. He, the- was, he was the superintendent of the Sunday school for 15 years and clerk of the session for 38 years. Wow. He was very involved in this. He deserves a plaque, a big now, old plaque. One thing I don't know if you noticed that in this gorgeous church is one thing where the director must have loved when they walked in. Not only are there gorgeous stained glass, the mm-hmm. stained glass is beautiful. The doorways are beautiful. All that is beautiful. But there is a Union Jack flag on the wall. Did you notice that? No. Which would have been time appropriate for this. Yeah. So they must have looked at that and been like, oh, this is perfect. Maybe that's why they chose it. Yeah, it's a it's a big antique Union Jack. Now, then they showed the keyboard, the organ. The organ. And I was like, that is not a period organ. It's not? <laughs> no. 1895 organs didn't have a swell section? According... <laughs> <laughs> According, you know, we do have to get to the plot at some point, right? To the pipe organ <laughs> database on. Oh boy, <laughs> I you know, I bet you the organ that's here at Indiana University is on that database. We have a humongous organ, and that's not just bragging. I have a bill. I have a belief it is it's a Cassavent Phrase Limited installed organ that was installed in 1959. Time has, traveling organ. It has 50 ranks, 2,922 pipes, four divisions, four manual stops, 40 uh, four manuals, 45 stops, and 43 registers. So it can make a lot of sounds. It's listed on the organ, pipe organ database as incomplete in terms of its, <gasps> of its uh, entry. Oh, the entry's incomplete. Yes. The organ's not incomplete. They have all that information. And there's still more there's to say about it. There's still more to say about <laughs> Nobody it. Nobody mentioned the swell section no. on the keyboard. <laughs> no, no, no. Swell. It's what it says. It's, it's not, swell. It's not the largest one in Canada. I looked up the largest pipe organ in Canada, and it is the Kimball Theater Pipe Organ in Kingston, Ontario, which was built by the Chicago Kimball Pipe Organ Company in, in 1928 for installation in the Youngstown, Ohio Theater to accompany silent movies and then the Kimball Theater and Kingston bought it. Ah, so it went to Ohio and then came back. Can you imagine moving a pipe organ across the border? It'd be a lot of pieces. It would be a lot of pieces, but some of them have, like, 
they got to be treated like you can't just throw all those pipes on a truck. No, no. <laughs> I just imagine some really uptight organist like riding along with it. It's okay, baby. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to go to the United States. It's all right. <laughs> You'll be swell. So the Merricks, the family. Yes. The mother <laughs> and her two Who's sons. Who's only referred to as the mother and that she's never happy. She's Mrs. Merrick. Yes. And her sons, Wendell, the groom, and yes. Thomas, the younger son. Yes. And he's marrying Eunice McGinty. Yes. <laughs> Eunice. I think if your name is Eunice, you have to wear wire frame glasses. It's, it's, and she's pinching her cheeks. She feels she doesn't, she's not as good looking as she needs to be. Well, nobody feel, I mean, you want to be as pretty as you can Absolutely on your wedding do. day. It's important. But then the brother finds his brother, Wendell, dead. Dun, dun, dun. Insert commercial break. Well, you know, they don't have a very good relationship because his brother isn't his best man. His best friend Lawrence is no. instead. No. And Eunice's bright maid of honor is Daisy. Daisy. Daisy Hansen. Yep. She of the blonde poodle do yes. in the front. So Murdoch arrives with his brand new murder bag. Second appearance of the murder bag. Yeah, he's got his murder bag on his bike. And like, you don't want Murdoch showing up with his murder bag to your place. No. It's a bad sign, right? No. There's a weird shot here. Did you notice it? It's of Dr. Ogden, Ogden and Murdoch talking. And the Bible is in the front, in the foreground. It's like over the Bible. No, but I did see Wendell's fingers move. Oh, he did? Uh-huh. Oh, that's not good. Bad corpse acting, and Wendell. They, and they find out that the mace of God. What is that thing? So what that is, because I've used one before, not to hit somebody. Yeah, say, who are you whacking with it? <laughs> but the procession that leads into the church sometimes includes. Oh, you carry. I carry a cross like that. Even in a Presbyterian church? Yep. I didn't know they had so much pomp. I thought that was a Catholic thing. Again, all Canadian Protestant religions are, we're not Catholic, but we're everything else. <laughs> so the dealy bop is that the Merricks own some kind of business that is doing well. They're wealthy. Something. And Wendell, the older brother, would not inherit his half of the business unless he got married. Apparently, Thomas is trusted enough to have inherited his half. We don't yes. know if he's married or not. I assume he's not, given how the episode ends. He's trustworthy. Though he, like, he, we talked about this. He totally looks like frat boy. Yes. He comes across as a country club Izod wearing guy. Yeah, the but actor does not look comfortable in gentlemanly clothes. Would you? In uh, tails and a top hat? A little more than him, I would hope. Oh, I don't know if anybody's comfortable in that. But apparently Wendell was... A spender and quite wild. I got about. <laughs> There's quite a few names hurled at the poor brother in this. I think he wasn't wild. I think he was gay. He is, and in his, fact, his, homosexual. So apparently dad in his will, because the family kind of knew that Wendell was gay, was like, well, I'm not having anybody who's outwardly gay inherit half of my company. You got to get married and pretend to be straight. So Eunice is his beard, basically. Yeah, basically she's his beard. Yeah. And, and it, it comes out later that she knew. She kind of knows yeah. that, yeah. Just like Lawrence's wife knows. <laughs> and and I, that was probably totally common yeah. in the time where there was an understanding. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people got married for reasons other than being crazy about each other. Yes. Not like us, baby. No, baby. Oh. Eunice is pretending to be a bit backward and mousy and wearing fake glasses and pinching her cheeks and everything else. But it doesn't matter because they're not going to get married because Wendell's been whacked. Yes. Well, he gets double whacked. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, so he's dead in the church. And mother, of course, has to go home right away. Yes. I'm sure she's not handling it. I, I'm sorry that they don't show her and her reaction to it, because I'm kind of curious whether she'd be like, oh, no, my oldest son is dead. I loved him. Or she'd be like, this is just the kind of thing he would do, you know, like, get about, going to go die on his wedding day. Strangely enough, weddings can be filled with so much tension. That, that it's 
You it's, never know how people are going to react. The the best kind of wedding is to go to is one that you have absolutely no involvement with. So you see all this craziness go on. You're stranger like stranger weddings. Laughing. Stranger are you weddings. crashing stranger weddings? No, now? no, I, I didn't. Think so. I, I did. I I went uh, with a friend of mine one time to a wedding. She asked me to go with her because she didn't want questions asked about her. And you were her beard. N- no, because oh. she wasn't gay. But, oh, okay. But, but uh, I was kind of her beard, but there was a fist fight. <laughs> oh, that's an awesome wedding. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, to be there as a stranger, not as a member of the family, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Merrick may be freaking out, but Eunice is doing just fine because Daisy gives her a big old dose of heroin. <laughs> it's a wonder drug. Just put her right out. Yeah, I bet it did. Like, wow. wh- how long did it take them to realize that just selling heroin in drugstores is not a good idea. Just well, they were doing heroin and cocaine at this time. And pretty, opium. Yeah. And yeah. It was, I mean, just give her a shot of whiskey the or something. casual maybe. use of heroin in this episode. Yeah, it's just in a little bottle that she just puts on the shelf. No Which is another, a total Murdoch thing where they're like, so Murdoch, any good science fiction. I'm not saying that Murdoch is science fiction, though it is. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, is a representation of current things at different... Uh, it's anachronistic. A, in a, yeah, in a fantasy environment. Not anachronistic. I think they were probably doing heroin then. Yeah. But it's a little nod to, we had no idea that heroin was so bad, so it's okay that we beat up the gay people. It's one of those moments where it's kind of a wink and a nod to the audience. Like, yeah. but we know better now, don't we? Ha, Which ha, ha. this episode is full of that. Yes, full of it. Eunice pretends to be all upset. She's not upset. She's not. She's Spoiler. And then we get to go to the morgue. Yes. And the brain is just there. right out there. I love Julia. Like, and here's a brain. Did you see her chalkboard? No. She's got a diagram of the brain Uh, with a big scribbly mark over where it's bonked. Oh, wow. where the hematoma is. Wow. When, by the way, as a side note, my mom was a nurse. And so she would sometimes use medical terminology for things at home. Yes. So as a kid, a bruise in our house was a hematoma, yes. right? Sometimes, not all the time, yeah. but sometimes. But when I was little, really little, like kindergarten and younger, I thought it was heap of tomato. Heap of tomato? <laughs> yes, that you had a heap of tomato on your leg. Wow. <laughs> Some, Is that maybe, what discolors your leg? I th- I don't know why I thought that, but that's what I thought that's, the word was, was heap of tomato. That's great. That's yeah. a great kid But it was thing. hematoma. Maybe that's why I don't like tomatoes. Maybe. Because I thought that's what grew under your skin when you had a bruise. <laughs> then I love how matter of fact Julia is about. That he had, he had, the, had sex. He had the big gay sex like 20 minutes before this. Yeah. So, okay. He's, she said that he had sex earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. So did he have sex with Lawrence earlier in the day? I would assume so. But not at church, surely. Before church. Somewhere else. It seems they have a lot on that day that maybe... It's a busy day, especially since people got married in the morning then. Yeah. It was fairly common for people to get married in the morning and then have a wedding breakfast. Like, that was a thing that people did. So, and, they, they got up early. And here we have... <laughs> More ways yeah, than one. <laughs> they, they did. They got up early. Here we have one of our favorite tropes of this show, which is the wide-eyed Murdoch. Murdoch learns a lesson. Yes. He's a sodomite? (laughs) We get to see how naive Murdoch is, how his lack of of worldly awareness. And Julia is usually his guide to, what the hell are you thinking, Murdoch? Come on, grow up. And, And she does that role here that we see in later episodes that I wish she had done in the last episode with the couple in the boxing episode with the couple who were so openly swingers. Yeah. Like she doesn't say, well, they're not hurting anybody. Get over it. Yeah. William. But she does a good job of calling him out on it. Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily accept it right away, but I think she does it in a way that gets through to him anyway. And I think he, is innocent and naive here because of his upbringing mm-hmm. and but but he was also like a, a uniform for five years yeah he, he didn't fall out of the sky as a yeah. detective yeah. you'd think he would be a little bit more worldly and he wasn't a detective in some little podunk place either no, no. right of course Brackenreed has every slur right ready to go <laughs> Wow. On the tip of his tongue. And I'm not even going to repeat them. No. Um, but see, 
Bracken Reed is already a more complex character because though he is clearly, I don't think he's homophobic. He's not afraid of them, but he definitely thinks less of them. He thinks they're funny. And and wants to make fun of them. But while while he thinks that, he's also willing to concede things will probably change, but right now we have to work in the system we've got. Yes. Right? And he also says probably the most misogynistic thing he's ever said, which is it's like the like a woman scorned and a man's Without, attitude to get things done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, thanks, Brackenreed. And then uh, we get one of my favorite scenes of the episode, which is Constable Perkins. Oh my gosh, what did Perkins do? He's in Bracken Reed's office. Bracken's in, like, well, excuse, excuse me, Murdoch. I got some business to do. Yeah. So Murdoch goes off and talks to Crabtree, and poor Constable Perkins has to go into Bracken he Reed's office. He screams at Perkins first. Like, get in here. Yeah. And Perkins is just standing there at attention. So Perkins taking is a, it, whatever a it constable. is. Constable. Constable Perkins. What did he do? Something real bad. I think he took Brackenreed's alcohol, whiskey. <laughs> oh, I think he'd get fired for that. Yeah. No. Like maybe. Mm, I don't he know. said something about Brackenreed's wife. Again, I think you just get fired or punched for that. Punched for that. You get fired and then beat up in the alley. It must have been something on duty. Like he let a girl wear his badge for fun or something. <laughs> you know? Because whatever it is, he knows it was wrong because he's not arguing his oh, case no. whatsoever. No, no, no. He's just he's taking it. He's got a part-time job somewhere else. But I also like the way Brackenreed has a little bit of zeal in his eye. Like, he's looking forward to ripping him a new one. Like, pardon me. I've, I'm, I've, I'm going to teach this whippersnapper a lesson uh, here. Yeah, yeah. And we got old Dan. Old Dan. The homeless guy. Outside the church, begging for pennies. Totally a character. He's probably the best known actor of all of the the uh, ex- the episode specific actors in this episode. He's yeah. played by Doug McGrath. He was in the Outlaw Josie Wales. Yep. He was in Pale Rider, which is another Clint Eastwood movie, and he was in John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Yes, which you asked me about already. Which has Ice Cube, Pam Greer, and Jason Statham in. Fantastic movie. <laughs> He does not play old Dan in any of those movies. (laughs) He's not like the Mars hobo or anything. (laughs) Wandering around asking for space pennies. When he's on screen, he's great, but he's absolutely underused as an actor. Oh, he's way under. He's been around for a really long time and he's played a lot of They were like, we need a hobo. We know this guy. Yeah, Doug will do it. Yeah, Doug's fun. Yeah. I think he grew a beard recently. We can have him do it. Yeah. And (laughs) And then... (laughs) There is. So they're trying to figure out, according to Murdoch's murder map, if the priest could hear the argument in his chambers. The reverend. Yes. So He's not the, a priest. The reverend. That's the, important. Yes. The reverend could hear his the argument in his yeah, chambers. Yeah, because he says Lawrence and, and Wendell were arguing in the meeting room. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he calls it. <laughs> that they were arguing yeah. in the meeting room. But that he couldn't hear exactly what they were saying, but Murdoch doubts that, right? So he puts Crabtree in the meeting room and has him yell, and he hangs out in the reverend's office to see if he can make out the words. And poor Crabtree's so, like, he doesn't want to offend anybody. He doesn't like to yell. Yeah. Well, what would you yell about? I don't know. Something. You probably yell song lyrics or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but Crabtree chooses to do his Brackenreed impersonation instead. Which is the whole reason why the Perkins thing is there. <laughs> it's such a nice end. Do you like, think that's what Perkins was doing? Some, that's no, what he got in trouble no, for? No, no, no. No, no. I think... I think it's a payoff of a joke in the middle of an episode instead of at the end, which yeah. I like. Because because Crabtree's repeating some of the things that he heard Brackenreed say. Yeah. Like, I'd have you on doorknob rattling duty if I didn't think they'd outsmart you. <laughs> it's just a fantastic insult. But then Crabtree gets a little too comfortable. He runs out of material, so he just starts making fun of his accent. <laughs> he makes fun. Oh, I'm from Sheffield. I can't say my L's. Bloody L, bloody L. He wouldn't be saying bloody hell in church, would he? No. <laughs> I hope not. I hope Especially not loud enough for everybody to wow. hear. Wow. But it's it's a fantastic George Crabtree performance. <laughs> I can't pronounce me bloody L's. <laughs> and then the minister has to admit yes. that 
he, he heard, knew he heard exactly what the argument was about yeah. and knew that Wendell was gay and had had counseled him about it in the past, thereby making himself suspicious because maybe he was Wendell's lover, not Lawrence. Yes. Well, okay. Because so there's only three put, men in Toronto. Who puts the who puts the Reverend in the frame? Eunice. Yeah. So she's clearly lying. Yeah, once you know that Eunice is the, is the killer, basically, she's sort the of. killer. You go back and you see how she's laying the foundation to put the suspicion on so other people. I don't I think the the reverend is understanding. I don't know if he's gay. Cuz Eunice claims that she saw the reverend and Wendell kissing. Yes. Which is pretty clear. Like, would you not? Okay, at this time. Wouldn't you go as a woman, What's going on? Yeah. You wouldn't just slip away in your wedding dress and wait for him. Like, I guess we'll just get married anyway. Wait, what? what? That man's going to marry you. Like, he's going to perform your wedding, and he was just kissing your husband. I think you'd say something. So then the priest says he was kissing him in a friendly manner. I'm like, wait, okay. What? <laughs> if we take it, because he, he appears to be lying when yeah. he says that. But if but he's not. He's not. Lawrence was ready to get it on with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I don't know about the Reverend, but I don't think they were kissing. I, think, I don't think so. I either. think he hugged Wendell. Yeah. And I don't even think he gave him a kiss on the cheek. I just don't think he knows whether he did or not, but yeah. he probably didn't. I think Eunice is a complete, an utter liar. Yes. Obviously. If only there was a way that we could get Murdoch's thoughts in an interior monologue about this that wasn't an interior monologue. Oh, wait, he's Catholic. Confession time. Yes, so we can hear what struggles he's having in his head. Yes. It is a trope of many, many, many shows. I was just offering him solace with my lips. (laughs) Well, he says that, the reverend says that Wendell was going to cancel the wedding. Yeah. Right? So he was having a major crisis. Which doesn't make sense in this structure and social time. Murdoch's right later on that this is almost a perfect situation. Yeah, like if he had gone ahead and married Eunice, he and Lawrence could have still had their thing. I think he found out about either Eunice and his brother or Eunice. Yeah, maybe. Because, uh, see, I don't know. Maybe Eunice says that she saw them kissing as a way to excuse just in case somebody saw her in that room. I think so. Go go to the room where Wendell was. Yeah. Hmm. It's right at the front of the church, and there's not many people. <laughs> no, no. Murdoch has the murder map, but it doesn't really do a good job of Checking people and where they are. No, because in the in the murder map, wouldn't wouldn't you have to to go from the reverend's office to the meeting room? Wouldn't you have to walk across the altar? Yes, or maybe behind it. Maybe you can walk behind it. Maybe a special altar secret door. It would make sense that there was a path behind it. Yeah, right. So people could come out from both sides back there. Mm. But wouldn't she, yeah? Because her room should be at the at the front of the church. She, her room's at the front of the. Or church. I'm sorry, at the back of the church. It should yes. be near the door. Yes. Right, because she's got to walk from there. Yeah. And he should be in a room up near the altar. Yes. So that makes sense. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> we, well, we've thought as much about this episode as the person who drew that murder I map. Know. Well, if they're gonna find out if Lawrence is, they think that Lawrence was not Wendell's lover and the Reverend wasn't, then who was? And the only way they're going to find out is for Murdoch to insinuate himself in gay culture in Toronto. Yes. They have their own societies down at Cherry Beach. Now, okay, Cherry Beach is a quite well-known area of ill repute. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Like general ill repute? Specifically gay, but general ill repute. And and we're and they're saying that it was way back then too. Yes. Okay. Though it's a very nice area now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Murdoch says, "Was he going to do go down and beat the bushes or something?" Well, it was. So it's like a hookup. It's spot. well known as a hookup spot. It's also well known as a uh, place in which police had sort of fascistic rule down there. There's a song by a band in Canada called Pucka Orchestra um, uh, called Cherry Beach Express about going getting picked up by the cops and basically being the crap beat out of you like because they had their paddy wagons they, and their they night found sticks you waiting. in cherry beach 
Wow. I remember the first time I went to Cherry Beach, I was like, kind of nice here. <laughs> yeah. What are they talking about? What's going on? Yeah. I think you were probably there at the wrong time of day. Probably. Unless you were there late at night creeping around in the bushes and I don't know about it. Well, they also have literary appreciation societies. Yeah. It's like um, in the Terry Pratchett Discworld books, the brothels are are called, they're, they're, they're not prostitutes, they're seamstresses. Oh, but they hardly ever use any fabric or thread. But that's what they are. They're that's, seamstresses, that's right? That's what they do. Yeah. So you have to have your little covers for things. And Higgins I, has a cousin who's a left footer. Yeah. <laughs> I realized that a lot of this could could strike people as being extremely homophobic on behalf of the writers of Murdoch rather nope. than as the characters. This but, scene is to point out the fact that the police had no idea what was really going on. None. They didn't know what gay culture was like. They didn't know what these men were actually doing, that what they did when they spent their time together, who no. they, what they were like no. as people. No. And they proved that by dressing Murdoch up as some kind of military dandy Oscar Wilde reject in a weird hat because that's what they think gay men dress like. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier to arrest them if they all looked like that? It would, in fact, be... Now, where do you think they got the accoutrements? That's a good question. Because in the snap of a finger, Murdoch is dressed up. Yes. Right? There's no shopping montage. No. <laughs> so either somebody already had these clothes in their own wardrobe and brought them in, which would be suspicious, right? <laughs> or they've got a dress-up closet. They don't have a dress-up closet. I know exactly what they have. What? They have Mr. Dress-Up, a Canadian children's performer who was influenced by Fred Rogers immensely. He had a trunk that was full of dress-up items in which he called his tickle trunk. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's troublesome. <laughs> What was in the tickle trunk besides this outfit? Uh, we well, know they okay. didn't have a white dress the in there. Station four <laughs> tickle trunk. <laughs> the white dress is in there now with his yes, blood spatters. The blood spattered white dress and the t-shirt from the pig. Too. Right, the pig's t-shirt. Yeah, that would be in there. Bracken Reed's hat from the last episode. Yeah. What else would they have in there? They'd probably have at least one nun costume. A I nun think. costume, an old lady costume. Oh yeah. They've got to dress up as old ladies sometimes, you know, to to catch people. Yeah, absolutely. What else would they have? <sighs> Maybe like a a Bigfoot? Yeah, like a Sasquatch <laughs> costume. <laughs> That's what Perkins did wrong. You didn't put the Bigfoot costume back in you the tickle trunk. The, <laughs> you didn't clean the Sasquatch costume. Perkins, you're in charge of the tickle trunk. You gotta take better care of the tickle trunk. It's just so fun to say. <laughs> it's unacceptable. Perkins, the constable of the tickle trunk. <laughs> Where do you think they keep? They gotta keep it upstairs. They they keep it by the chicken and the giraffe, of course. No, that's sleeping. Sorry, sorry. Different show. That's friendly giant. <laughs> No, the, there's all these scenes, especially with Bracken Reed and Murdoch walking down the stairs in the in Station Four. They walk down the stairs, and Murdoch's office is right there, and then the common area is there, yeah. and Bracken Reed's office is over yeah. to the side, right? What is upstairs? They, apparently, the tickle truck storage. <laughs> I mean, I I guess maybe the interrogation room is upstairs, maybe, but I doubt no, it. I don't think. I don't so. think so. No. So that must be where they keep it. Here's a completely Canadian-specific joke that maybe Perkins' first name is Casey. But for people who from Canada who get that. Okay, I'll take your word on that. <laughs> Mr. Dressup, I met him. Very nice guy. Absolutely fantastic individual. So not only does he have on the jacket with the frogs on the front. Yes. Right? That's what you call those closures, by the way, if yes, you didn't know the that. frogs. Frogs and a velvet collar. Yes. And the hat. Oh, uh, the feather is too much. It oh, is. It is. It's too much. Yes. And the and the flower on his lapel. Well, if they're going to have stereotypical costumes in the tickle trunk, they probably <laughs> should have like an Indian outfit. Like a, With a headdress Native and American everything. Native American outfit. Yeah. This is what, and the cowboy outfit, right? Yes. That's the American costume. Yes, the American costume is a cowboy the cowboy outfit. outfit. Yeehaw! But did you notice Murdoch's? Footwear. No. What does he have on his feet? We only get a tiny glimpse of it. Okay. Yeah. 
because when he's sitting with Jeffrey at the tennis club, Jeffrey yes. puts his hand on Murdoch's knee. Yes, he does. There's a hint for you. We can see his footwear from his knee oh. because he is wearing knee-high black leather boots that lace up the front. Oh, So he goes to the tennis club. And he sticks out like a sore thumb. Oh, my gosh. They, I'm surprised they don't all just turn and laugh at him. They do such a good job of making the gay culture appear normal and accepting and... Welcoming. Welcoming. Though, in reality, they would be like, you get out of here. Yeah. Dude. They, they would know. Because right you are completely it. unacceptable and you are going to give us away. Yeah. And that is dangerous. I'm George Crabtree. So look, Oscar Wilde, get out of here. <laughs> I'm George I, Crabtree I love that he's from Montreal. George's name. Wouldn't he have a Quebec accent if he was from Montreal? Not necessarily. There's an English area in Quebec. So. Okay. He drinks wine. He does. He, he, uh, Murdoch later never drinks. On, later on, Bracken Reed offers him a drink and goes, of course not. Meanwhile, Murdoch's at, at the gay tennis club down in the Merlot. No, he takes one drink. Yeah. And you know why it's not an anachronism for his character? Why? Communion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So he, I think he'd be okay with a sip of red wine, but that's it. Maybe. And that's all he does. I thought he was going to pretend to drink it. But yeah. He drinks it. No, he does. He takes a glug of it. And then totally screws over. Poor Jeffrey. Poor Jeffrey. Yeah. They, he lures him away. He yeah. was very welcoming and kind to him. He was. And they take him to the station. And I don't like that Murdoch lets Bretton Reed rough him up. I think he should have stopped him. I think this is, I hope this is the last time Bracken Reed roughs up a gay guy for being gay. Because he feels shame at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, I think he does. So then they go to Lawrence's house. And oh wait, Jeffrey says the Reverend is also gay. Yes. So there's there's cross triangulation. There's a community there, yeah. right? But he says that Lawrence was Wendell's lover. Yes. Right? So they go back to Lawrence's house. What is up with the top of Lawrence's house? I do not know. Okay, Lawrence's daddy killed himself. It's sad. It's upsetting. We're not here to talk about suicide. No. Okay. We're here to talk about the bedroom. The walls in that bedroom. What is up with that? Oh my god! The downstairs of their house and the outside look completely respectable and period with the time and yep. like um, uh, an upper middle class family. But their bedroom is from like Anne Boleyn's bedroom or something. It is, it's got w way too much like Tudor area era woodwork yeah. on the ceiling. Yeah. And the walls look like they're made out of unfinished drywall it it looks like an unfinished finished attic it's a garret yeah it's and, a garret room but there are pictures on the wall yeah and beefcake pictures in the desk <laughs> <laughs> but there's also like a shelf around the top that's got like old knickknacks and dusty junk yeah it's a very weird room it, and, you know, I mean, I assumed that this was he and Cecile's bedroom, but maybe it's not. Yeah. Maybe it's his, like, upstairs office spare room. But he has a room like that where he plays sodomy and chess. <laughs> no, that's that's not the man room. That's the parlor. This is the man room. The man room. Like the, the man picture. Like the box room. Okay. Right? Yeah. So this isn't their bedroom. No. It is in the attic. That would explain everything. And this is where... There's a milk can next to the bed. Yeah. Why? I what mean, does that even mean? They might have had bedpans back then, maybe. Maybe. But no, certainly not a milk. Like, how much do you pee in the night that you need a milk can next to your bed? <laughs> That's a lot. Wow. You know, a bedpan just doesn't do it. I need a milk can. Plus, really, just get up and like, go outside. It holds like five gallons. <laughs> That's a lot of pee. Wow. Plus, right by the bed. That's <laughs> well, it is a garret attic bedroom. Oh. That's where we put Uncle P when he visits. <laughs> we make him stay in the box it's room. It's not P, it's Pete. <laughs> peed. B-A-B-B-A-B-Peed. So. That's what that guy in the church has got those honorifics for. He can pee five gallons. Julia arrives with all her brand new notions. Yeah, she's a modern woman. This is what I was talking about. I think we talked about it in the last episode, but certainly 
where we see the show going, Murdoch is confronted with a reality in the world. Yes. There are gay people. Yes. That challenges some moralistic truth that he has clung to until this point. Yes. He goes to seek solace from Julia, who goes, what are you talking about, you old funny daddy? You're stupid. <laughs> Snap out of it. So combined with the reality of there are gay people and the fact that the girl that he loves is like, ugh. You need to get over yourself. You need to get over yourself. He That institutes and creates change in young William Murdoch. Yes. He, he has to grow. Yes. And adapt. But he doesn't have to get rid of that creepy face mask on the wall of his office. What is that face mask? I don't know. I looked and looked and looked at it and I thought, is it a theater mask? Like, is it, is it a, like a, you know, the happy, sad masks, the drama masks? No. And And there's a drama episode coming up, but it's not not that. No. And it's not a Janus mask. It doesn't have like, it's not classical. It doesn't have two faces. No. But it does look kind of Greco-Roman. It's weird. We got a picture of it for the reel in the show notes. We'll, we'll put it up. But. I love, the writers do such a good job here. mm Mm-hmm. Of presenting multiple sides to the argument in a way that isn't, we totally fall on this side of the argument, right? Like, the Murdoch brings up points that are not ignorant or... Oh, no, no. Or, um, like, homophobic. They're not he, hateful. He, they're not. They're he, completely he based having on his... a moral quandary because of the... The rules of his faith. Yeah, the rules of his faith. With he's, which he's been taught are true. Yeah. Right? And they don't bend just because you want to bend them. Yes. And that's... He has to confront that, right? Yeah. So Daisy knew Wendell a long, long time. Yeah. Right? She's known Wendell and Thomas a long, long time, the brothers. Thomas introduces Daisy to Eunice at the Strawberry Social at church. Yes. Now... Going back to Midsummer Murders, I sometimes forget how the episodes end. And I also forgot how this episode end. Yeah. So at this point in time, I'm like, is Daisy the murderer? <laughs> <laughs> Did Daisy kill him because she wanted him for herself? Did Daisy kill him? <laughs> <laughs> like she introduced. Because she loves him. Because she introduced Eunice to Wendell, but she really loved Wendell. Is that what you're yeah. thinking? Yeah. Because. Because nowhere in the universe does Daisy have any romantic interest. No. Like, why doesn't she marry Wendell? I don't know. If she's known him, why doesn't she marry Thomas? I do not know. They don't mention that she's married. No. Right? So, yeah, I can see why you would wonder that. So when Daisy meets Eunice, she goes, oh, you're perfect for Wendell, right? Because Thomas has coached her. Yes. To how to present herself as yes. the perfect wife for Wendell. Yes, because apparently Wendell and uh, Lawrence and Eunice were an item before this. You mean Thomas? Thomas and Thomas and Eunice. Yes, Thomas and Eunice. Yeah, and now Murdoch has got to get on a train and go to Niagara to find out about Eunice's Coach. background. Coach, which means he's sitting on a wooden bench for how long? Basically, two and a half hours. Is That's that? a long time on a wooden Still. bench. Still. Trains went 15 miles an hour. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Ride your bike, you get there quicker. At least they were closed topped by then. Yeah. You know, 30 or 40 years earlier in England, they were open topped coach yeah. trains. You just sat there and got bugs in your teeth. The rain. Because you paid cheap prices. You sat in somebody's lap for three hours. Insert shot of the falls. Yes, because it's Niagara. Because now we're in Niagara. Yes has several A's in it, I learned earlier. Um, <laughs> has three A's in it. Yes. Niagara. Mrs. Schreier, who was Eunice's former employer, has the worst best hat. Oh, it's horrible. It's pretty. And then you look at it, and the more you look at it, the grosser it is. Yes. It's like straw, but like quilled straw. And it's all like bundled up sort of in like brain patterns. Yeah. It's all smooshed. I don't... It's like a peacock, but not. Yeah. Mrs. Schreier refers to Eunice in the past tense, and you're like, huh? Huh? And then she's like, you didn't know she died six months ago. And Murdoch's like, huh? Murdoch does his. No, Murdoch gets a big light bulb above his head. Da-bing! Like, ha-ha! He's got the scent. Yeah. (laughs) Let the dog see the rabbit, as Bracken Reed would say. Yeah. And we learn that Eunice and Bridget were together when Eunice died. Hmm. Now, at this point in time, 
I thought maybe Eunice went to visit Lawrence and killed him. Mm. Well, hold on to that thought. Yep. Because we need to talk about the real Eunice's death. Yes. Okay. Because Eunice and Bridget both worked for Mrs. Shire, right? Yep. So Eunice and the real Eunice and Bridget both worked for Mrs. Shire. Yes. Right? And they go to Niagara Falls together. Yep. And Eunice dies. Which okay. she commits suicide with Bridget next to her. What? If you if you've never been to Niagara Falls, you might think, how is that even possible? <laughs> First of all, it would be incredibly easy to do, especially back then. Especially even now. back then, there there isn't a lot of huge amount of protection area i mean there's rails and stuff right yeah but they're not like insurmountable if you want to go over them hence Mm. why there were so many people going over niagara falls and barrels and all kinds of stuff back then there wasn't a whole lot to stop you well you weren't going to accidentally fall in like like most things in canada you go up the river like a mile and it's just open to the road (laughs) right yeah so they're on the canadian side of the falls right and how does that happen though? Like, are they standing at the rail next to each other? And and Bridget says to Eunice, like, "Hey, look down there." No, you got to bend over more, 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 and then just grabs her petticoat and tips her over. I, I think she she was suicidal. Yep. <laughs> no one else saw either. Yeah. Or oh, I dropped my handkerchief. Can you reach it? Reach a little further. I, reach a little further. Oops. I, I she went over. Probably because whenever any Canadian mentions the falls, they always mention how bad the American version of the falls is. So they were probably like, isn't that horrible over there? Those Americans? Can you see it? Can you see it? Bend over. Look. You have to you have to like lean over a little yeah. bit more and then you can really see. Yeah. Or maybe they were out on the Maid of the Mist. <laughs> they were out on that boat that goes to the bottom of the falls and she shoved her can over. Can you imagine what condition a boat would be left in then <laughs> <laughs> it would be like uh logs strapped together you know yeah. and you just have to hold on real tight now they I wouldn't even give you a poncho never gone on the maid of the mist oh really no never gone in the maid of the mist i haven't either but everybody else i know who's been to niagara falls did it you and i didn't the one time we were there together and actually like visited not just yes. drove through it was way too cold to even yeah, consider it was, doing it. Was it. Definitely, there too was cold. ice. Yeah, there's no way we would have done it. Yeah. but it looks like it would be fun if, or to even like at least go down to that platform at the base. Yeah, there are episodes later in Murdoch that we may or may not cover about people going over on in barrels. A woman gets her barrel stolen. Yes, and about other famous things about Niagara Falls. But there's nothing, as far as I can remember, in a later episode. About weddings at Niagara Falls? No. So since this episode is about a wedding and mentions Niagara Falls, I was like, it just occurred to me that I wanted to know why it was known as a place to get married. Like the Poconos or Reno, it's known as a place to get married. Or at least honeymoon. Now, my brother got married and went to Niagara Falls. It's a beautiful place to go. Yeah. And it cre- it's it's built as a destination now. Yes. But do you know how that got started? No, I don't. I do. Do you okay. want to know? Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to assume. I am a maniac. It's long before this. Oh, okay. So in 1801. Okay. So... 94 years before this Murdoch, Theodosia and Joseph Alston. Theodosia was Aaron Burr's daughter. Aaron Burr, who was later vice president of the United States. Yes. They were were not poor people. And involved in the uh, duel. Yes. A very famous duel. Yes. But she was quite the socialite. And when they got married, they took this big wagon trip on their honeymoon north and went to the falls and then it was you know everybody was talking about oh they went to the falls and she's very rich and special and i want to i want to be just like theodosia so in 1804 jerome bonaparte who is napoleon's little brother jerome bonaparte jerome jerome because you know you name your first kid napoleon and your second one jerome jerome that does not work. Anyway, Jerry, Jerry Bonaparte and his bride went there on their honeymoon and he was a Bonaparte. So that was a really big deal. 
Yeah. And then it just became like something that people of money did. Uh-huh. And then because they were doing that, then services popped up and then hotels popped up and then more people went. And now it's a honeymoon spot. Yeah. But it started with Theodosia Burr. It's really kind of Las Vegasy now. Now? Yeah. Yeah. Which side do you think is more Vegasy, the American or the Canadian side? Oh, the American side is hell on earth. It's not <laughs> it's not very Vegasy at all. There's a like a a mall of an outlet mall uh-huh. and kind of that's not about oh, it. Oh, so all the good stuff's on the Canadian all side. All the good stuff is cuz I don't really remember which side we were yeah, on yeah, when we were there. Yeah, all the good but stuff. But it was very there was like a wax museum That's or, all Canadian That was all side. on the Canadian side. Yep. So that's one cool thing Canadians have. <laughs> We also have a tickle trunk. Yes, I said that. <laughs> wow. So Bridget shoves you. We Eunice. pull up to the border the next time. The border guard will be like, according to this episode. Mystery Mark, Maniacs. you can come in. Sarah, you got to stay. Sorry, you got to stay home. He's got a Mr. Maniac's t-shirt. Yes. He's got a Sockle Fox t-shirt. With a we hate Sarah written on it and marker. Under his uniform. So Bridget goes over the fall. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Eunice goes over the falls and then Bridget takes over her identity, Eunice's identity. Which is so right? easy at this point in time. Oh my it gosh. must have happened all the time. You just showed up calling yeah, yourself whatever I'm you this wanted. this person now. There's no photos. Like there's no photo IDs or anything. Oh, well, one of the most famous con, men, con women of this time is a woman who claims to be Andrew Carnegie's illegitimate daughter. And she does it by having some cards printed up that say basically her name and Andrew Carnegie's daughter. Yes. And gives them to people. And they believed her. Uh, for the people who <laughs> And it watched, wasn't even her real name. Yep. For the people who have watched future episodes of Murdoch, we know that this is a plot point. To come. Later. Yes. At 40 minutes and 15 seconds, yes. we get another transition with the weird old timey black and white photo of Toronto that's been colorized. Yes. With the people walking in it. Walking weird. They do walk weird. I noticed them right away. There were, there's like a tiny man and a tiny woman. Yep. And they're walking on top of a photograph. Yes. Down a sidewalk. And it's like they're hovering. Yeah. And they move super fast. Did you see the little guy on the left? Yep. The little individual guy? Yep. Yeah, he moves weird too. (laughs) And then there's two wagons moving real slow. Yep. It is, it is. Why did they do that? I don't know. They have the B-roll of the people on the street. They don't need to use that photograph. What I don't understand is they went to it again. Again. <laughs> yeah. If if you didn't notice it when you watched it, the do yourself a favor. Time. Go back to like the 40-minute mark and yeah. watch for this little transition and look at the sidewalk on the bottom kind of right quarter of the photo and watch the the hovering people who move really fast down the sidewalk. <laughs> It's kind of funny. It's kind of Monty Python looking when yeah. you when you really stop and look at it. Now, Murdoch gets the name of the woman in Niagara Falls from Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. They have a moment where Murdoch says, I'm sorry, that shouldn't I'm have happened, sorry, but we can still fix this for and Wendell. And we can fix this for yeah. Wendell. So th- we begin to see the beginnings of transformation of Murdoch. Yeah. Right. Because... He sees that Jeffrey has a black eye. Yeah. And Jeffrey's like right up front. And that's the result of Murdoch turning his back. Yeah. And walking away. Yes, it is. Because he could have stopped him. He yep. could have stopped Bracken Reed and he didn't. Can We've- a girl fix herself up? Well, no, not if. Whoa. Whoa. You're a completely different person. Well, Mark, all you have to do is take your glasses off and put on lip gloss and oh, you're beautiful. That's what I do. Nobody will notice that you're pretty if you have glasses on. Ah. Oh. At least she didn't take her hair down and like shake it. Shake and you're like, oh, Mrs. What's your face? It's what's like on Star Trek. You're a completely different person. Yes. What? It, oh gosh. What am I thinking of? It's in a, a Dolby song. Why? Why, Mrs. What's your face? You're beautiful. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. In that Thomas Dolby yeah. song? It's because she takes her glasses off and lets her hair down. Yes. Well, 80s video weren't really the height of metaphor. I would never recognize you. Yes. If only we could get away with that. If I could put my hair up and put glasses on, like I do every day, and nobody would know who I am. Mrs. Klein is a con artist. Yes. She's wanted in Windsor, London, and Cambridge, which, all in Canada. Which I appreciate. They're all not only 
all in Canada. Which has no original names for places unless they're native. They're all in the right order. They're all English places. They're all in the right order from south to north towards Niagara Falls and Toronto. Okay, so she made her way from Niagara Falls to Toronto, no, committing crimes along the no, way. No, no, no. She made her way from Windsor to London to Cambridge to Niagara Falls to Toronto. Ah, okay. That is the correct order, which means she obviously came from the place Further south of Windsor, you which is from- the United States. <laughs> you think she came over from Detroit? She's a Detroit girl. <laughs> I'll give you that. Maybe she came from Detroit. So the deal was that Eunice and Thomas had hooked up. Yeah. Right? So she was supposed to marry Wendell. And then, oops, he fell over the falls on the honeymoon. So then she could marry Thomas. And together they owned the whole company. And by the way, we don't want to make it like there are people jumping off the falls. <laughs> oh, no, they're just accidentally being pushed. Yes. Oops. <laughs> so poor Wendell was going to get it anyway. Yeah. Right. He, he was he was bound to get it. God. But Eunice's mistake is she hooked her wagon to an idiot. Yeah. Because Thomas is not too smart. He's supposed to kill him after the wedding, not before it. But he gets upset and he whacks him with the big <laughs> stick of glory or whatever it is. This is what she says. Yes. I'm not sure he did anything. I think maybe she did it and she's blaming him because she thinks that she's killed him with the heroin. So when he, but he doesn't die. So you think when he wakes up, he's going to call her out on it. Mm-hmm. But, but he was in on it. Yes. But he didn't hit him with the big cross. No. But why would Eunice have done that? That would have been stupid for her to kill Wendell before they got married. I don't know. It's, but but she she makes Thomas out to be an idiot, and I, I, I he doesn't contradict that. There's the no episode. immediate inciting incident other than what happens with Thomas. He was going to cancel the wedding. Yeah. And he has to get married. Yeah. But then Thomas, instead of convincing him to get married, goes- Just beats him to death. Well, I'm just going to hit you. That makes no sense. Why doesn't Thomas just marry Eunice? Because they wouldn't get Lawrence's part of the- Company. Ah, oh, okay. No, but they, they have get, it they already. Get, you keep getting this name mixed up. Wendell is the dead guy. Yes. Okay. Sorry. They wouldn't have Wendell's part of the company. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's true. But they're not going to get it by killing but him before they get married. But he has it anyway. I don't think Wendell is really involved in the business. He doesn't want to be. Yeah. He says he doesn't so want to be. So he kind of has it already anyway. Like All he when, has to do is like give him an allowance or something, and he'll probably stay out of the business anyway. Yeah. Because he wants to just go to the tennis club. Yeah. He doesn't want to be running a business because he's got about. Yes. Then I, Murdoch has to admit to Father Connolly that he said nothing. Yep. About the Reverend. Yep. And, and this is a direct contradiction to what, like, he's supposed to arrest him right then and there. Yeah. But Father Connolly doesn't know if the man of cloth that Murdoch is referring to is a Presbyterian Reverend. He doesn't know. Yeah, because he it just knows he's a man of the cloth. It, it could have been another priest. It would have sounded incredibly callous if Father Conley did, said, "Well, is he Catholic or Protestant?" Because yeah. that'll affect my answer. <laughs> like if you can't say that. No, if he's Catholic, cover it up. But if yep. he's a Protestant, arrest him. He can't say that. And Murdoch says, "I can't follow blindly." Yeah. That's mm. huge. That's a big deal. That that's is a Murdoch. Big deal. That's Murdoch changing quite a bit. Yeah. But not as much as and, he changes with the tickle trunk. And Bracken <laughs> and Bracken Reed has a moment of of thought too. Yeah, like maybe things do need to change, but they haven't changed yet. Yeah. So we have to deal with things the way with the hand that we're dealt. We have to also admit that this is a little pat in the back of isn't things better now than the bad old days? Yes. Now, right. Yes. It is wonderful how it is better now. We're speaking in Canada. I'm not going to get into the silliness that's happening in the United States. <sighs> okay. No, we're not. But this is a, a little bit of Canadian backpat. Back padding, yes. self back padding. You know. Yeah. We got better. For the research for the episode, I was like, oh, I'll research, you know, when Canadian, early Canadian uh, pioneers and early Canadian politicians and was incredibly saddened how much has changed in my lifetime. Did you think that gay rights would have progressed more before in the years before you were born than they, they did? Were I you surprised at how late it happened in I Canada? I was surprised how late it happened in Canada. Yeah. 
And it's, it's, it happened too late everywhere. It happened too late everywhere. And it's a switch that's like, never again am I going to believe, even in America, that things can't change overnight. Because gay marriage, when I moved, when I emigrated in 99 to think that gay marriage would happen in my lifetime in the United States, I didn't think it would happen. Mm. And then like five years later, Unfortunately, things can switch the other way overnight, too. Things can switch the, the way overnight. Also, unless you're in the rest of the world that has seems to have intelligence and you yeah. know, compassion and things like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of down on the U.S. today. No, no, just it'll get better. It'll get better. But in the meantime, you know, it, we at least get to think that the characters in the show are more progressive than their time. Yes. All right. right. Yeah. And that... The average person, if they are the average people, were more more progressive and compassionate than the society as a whole was, right? Individuals were more understanding yes. than maybe society was. Yes. But there's still the tickle trick. And this, like, Murdoch from the very beginning deals with social issues and deals with them in a progressive way. Always. From right the very from beginning. from the very beginning. Yeah. From the very beginning, there's a nod going... Yeah, we know they were kind of backward back then, but we're not like that anymore, right? Yeah, right? Okay. And for us to like these characters, they have to be a little bit more like us than they would have been in reality. Yes. For us to like them. Yes. But we have to end this on a high note. Best corpse. (laughs) Wendell doesn't get it because he can't keep his hands still. No, it's got to be Lawrence. I don't even know if you can count Lawrence as a corpse. I know. It's got to be. He's a pair of pants. It's got to be Wendell. You know what? I'm giving it to the real Eunice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm imagining her corpse and it's better than those two. <laughs> After the credits, poor Mrs. Merrick is more pissed off than ever with her sons. Because oh now she's got to run the whole damn company alone. Whatever business that is, she's running it by herself. She Maybe is, she'll hire Daisy. <laughs> yeah, really. She is in charge. Yeah. Um, I think Father Franks is going to be fine. Yeah, I think so. I think Eunice is definitely going to go to jail. Yeah. I think Thomas is probably going to go to jail, too. I think they're both going to go. Once he wakes up from his heroin overdose. Wow. He's going to go to jail. Old Dan is probably old Dan telling his stories, lying about where he finds stuff. And Jeffrey goes on to find a partner that gives him nothing but happiness or a life that gives him nothing but happiness. As they point out in the episode, the person I think I feel most sorry for is Lauren. Braxton's wife, Cecile. Yeah. Because she's now a single mother in an era where single mothers did not fare well. And unless her, you were her inc- husband committed suicide. Yeah. Everybody would have known that. Yeah. Unless you were incredibly wealthy, the, she is in trouble. She is the subject of whispers. And has no money. And has no money. Right? No source yeah. of income. Unless no. she's got a family to go back to. No. She's in the in the worst spot. Yeah. Which is too bad. Wow, we're struggling to end on a high note here. Horrible movies. I don't have any horrible movies. I have one for you. What? Yes. I cannot believe you missed this movie. Okay. So this is a movie that has Lachlan Murdoch in it. So this is... um, Henry. Henry. I cannot believe you missed this movie. Okay. So this is Henry's first acting credit. It received six out of 10 on uh, IMDb. That's why I didn't do it, because I only do movies that are less than five. Okay. Because that makes them horrible. Oh, this movie's horrible. <laughs> Apparently not that horrible. Uh, this movie, the, the, uh, the synopsis is a group of friends cheat their way through high school. Okay. Lachlan Murdoch plays a character named... Horny. Horny? <laughs> yes. Horny Henry? No, no. I know, he's, Just, but he's Henry in the show, and he's horny in the movie. Uh, one person in a review of this movie <laughs> uh, said that the, the entitle of the review is a banal rework of earlier banal high school, school, high school movies. Wow. So it's a bad version of bad movies. Yes. This review ends with the following sentence. One feels a sense of pity for his future wife and children. (laughs) Who's going to marry Horny? Wow. Nobody. Nobody. And I'm supposed to guess the name of this movie? No, I know you have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, what's it called? Is it called Cheaters? It's called Cheaters. Oh, hey, I got it. 
it. Yeah, a point for you. I got it. <laughs> it's not like last week's blue monkey about bugs. No, which I had seen. <laughs> but you didn't remember. I it, did so not it remember. Count. I it's saw the poster. I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. Still a point for me. Yeah, it's still a point for you. But uh, yeah, I, I went through Lachlan Murdoch's. Uh, filmography, and I saw that he was named Horny, Horny in character. a movie called Cheaters. <laughs> I watched the trailer to this movie, which I know you'll be surprised, had trouble finding a re- theatrical release date. Would you recommend people check out this trailer? No, uh, yeah, the trailer, maybe. Okay. It looks like both horrible and like boring it looks <laughs> like just bad. a bunch of high school students cheating and like being dumb yeah like oh it's just horrific so well i got a point so you got a point hey! so I, I brought horrible movie back to man you. see you thought you were gonna get me i did you didn't get me i guessed it and the <laughs> see the cheaters the a and the t and cheaters is a plus Oh, that's so clever. Oh, it's so clever. Not, <laughs> not clever. What's our next episode? Season our, one, episode six is, is... Let Loose the Dogs, where we find out some background about Murdoch. Interesting. His father makes an appearance. Ooh, interesting. Yes. All right. So, Until then. Uh, you can find Mystery Maniacs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email. Don't forget, all merch sales are going to target ovarian cancer and uh, on an organization who's also been very helpful to us yeah. and uh, very nice and very pleased that what we're doing. So we've uh, already been in contact with them and they're super excited for what we're doing. So likewise, yeah. YouTube like subscribe, hit the bell and bye maniacs. Bye maniacs. <laughs>